Welcome to the Debbie Debate. All right, boys, are we ready to debate? Bruni, are you ready to go head to head with me? I am. Gotta get my popcorn out here. Hold on, how it works. The bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. I'm Felix Sharp. I know you didn't think that we would get through this episode without mentioning the name one Zach F. Wilson. It is first and goal. Ball spotted just inside the 10. Algier in. Wilson faked it to him and keeps it. Zach Wilson to speed and he dives for the end zone. Touchdown. That's Austin Nate. Gibbs, who is probably going to be the best pass catcher out of the three. Now. Down. He's going to get after it again. And look at the speed and the spark and the score from Gibbs. Just what Georgia Tech needed. That's Matt Bruning. G. Scott Jr. Obviously, I waxed poetic about him on the last episode, so I won't do that again here. And it's on the field. Up to Karen, watch out. Justin Fields. Hello, Columbus. 51 yards. Austin. You tweeted something, bro. You tweeted your running back ranking. Explain yourself. Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. Ohio State fan talking there. Oh, shit. That is why you come to the Debbie debate. Apologies to Kirk Herbstreit. We ran out of time. We'll get him rescheduled soon. And for Matt Bruning and Austin Nace, I'm Felix Sharp. Good night and good luck. It's 9.30 Eastern time, the only time zone that makes any sense whatsoever. That's Matt Bruning, that's Austin Ace, and I'm Felix Sharp on an unimpeachable version of tonight's show. Who made the right decision in returning sco- in returning to school? Who made the wrong decision in re- declaring for the NFL draft? And the Debbie Debate crew does an early dynasty rookie mock draft. But we start with our recap of the national championship game, 24-52 to 52, Alabama in an absolute blowout. Austin, what went wrong for Ohio State? Uh, well, I'm assuming that Matt doesn't have any sort of fancy visuals or, uh, you know, any any other thing of that sort for tonight's show. So I guess we'll just hop into it, the analysis. Uh, I have uh, I have not been able to really stop crying yet from whatever happened on Monday night. So I have not been able to put something together. Your eyes did look a little red when we hopped in here. I saw you put a few drops in and then we, uh, we, we yeah. hopped right into the show. Yeah. 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 Um, so, I, I mean, I think pretty much everything that could have gone wrong did go wrong for them. I mean, when the score is that bad, or sorry, when that lopsided, we'll say that I feel like a lot of things have to go wrong, but I mean, losing Trey Sermon early, I think was just like a huge death blow. Say, I mean, Teague had himself a decent game. He went 15, 65 for in two, but he's just not like the threat that Trey Sermon is. I don't think Alabama respected him quite as much defensively. You know, they, they were really pushing, you know, relying on that front seven early, which was opening up stuff down the middle of the field. You know, Ruckert had a few nice catches early. It looked like that was kind of going to be the game plan, you know, grind it out, not really care what the corners did at all on Alave and Wilson and just kind of try to work the running game in the tight ends and, and see if that would work for him. So losing Sermon didn't allow them to do that anymore because then they were really able to clamp down on Alave and Wilson. And then I think once you get behind on Bama, like it's just so you can't, you can't get into a shootout with Alabama like this year. You just cannot do it. So that, I mean, as soon as they got down by more than a score, it was it was not looking good. And the other thing is they just didn't consistently cover Devonta Smith. And I don't really know what the game plan was for him, but they were letting him hit. Like, yeah, they had linebackers on him at times. Like, they were just letting him run th- 
free without being touched. You know, it, it was bad. So I don't know who drew up that game plan. They I probably wouldn't bring him back next year, but whatever. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I what do you think, Matt? Is a not so uh, neutral uh, party to the whole thing? Well, I will say that I do think. Um, I mean, it may be a discussion we can have maybe later on the offseason. I think this Bama team is probably one of the better teams I've seen play in a long time. Maybe we haven't been giving them the credit. I haven't been giving them the credit they deserve. Uh, I do think missing out on a couple of the defensive linemen in Togi and um, I think it wasn't Smith. I don't remember who the other one was now. Uh, that definitely hurt because they weren't able to get any pressure up the middle. I mean, they still did a good job of slowing down Najee, but they couldn't get any pressure on Mac Jones to force him to get rid of the ball earlier. You know, I posted it in our our little chat um, for the show that I thought uh, the Big Ten is hurting Ohio State in, in the competition level, and that's that's my problem. I think the what you guys were just bringing up on covering Devonta Smith, if you watch Ohio State play all year, they build their defense to stop the run because that's kind of what the Big Ten Conference goes off. They try to to beat you with the running game. You don't have a lot of high-flying passing attacks like we've seen kind of the SEC trans, transition to here as of late. And so they were playing a lot of single-high safety, which, uh, if you watch the game, doesn't work against a guy like Devonta Smith. I know a lot of people were beating up Sean Wade. If you watch the game, Sean Wade was not on Devonta Smith all the time. Seven Banks was on him a lot too, and Seven Banks was getting burned just as much. It just it wasn't a good game plan. Kerry Combs, uh, they they don't play a lot of two safeties, and I think that burnt him. It was just a bad defensive game plan all around. And again, I think that goes to the fact that you don't see a lot of those high-flying offenses in the Big Ten. So Ohio State doesn't have any other way to really prepare for that. We saw it against Indiana with Michael Penix this year, and we saw what Michael Penix was able to do against him. So then you put Mac Jones and the Heisman winner, Devonta Smith, over there. Uh, I'm with you. I do think that Sermon was a big loss because I do think that was their plan was to go in, like you said, Austin, and kind of grind the clock a little bit, try and keep Alabama's offense off the field as much as possible. But even missing Tokyo and Sermon, uh, as much as I love the Buckeyes, I don't think there was they were going to win that game. I think they keep it, keep it closer. I think they maybe get 35. Uh, but I don't think they win that game. There's just Bama was just the better team. They showed it. I mean, there's nothing else you can take away from that, in my opinion. Bama was playing a lot of man-to-man defense, and – Ohio State's receivers were not separating, or at least they weren't getting enough separation. I think that this is the game that confirmed for me that Dak Prescott might be a see-it-before-he-throws-it quarterback because what I saw was late blitzes coming. You would have one high, and then you would have, for example, Jamison Williams with the single on the outside. And to me, I mean, like the ball's just supposed to go there, and he was not he was not uh, go- he was not going there. Justin Fields is yeah. a see it before you throw it quarterback. I said Dak like Prescott. Dak Prescott, yeah, like, like Dak, Dak Prescott. Prescott, like Marcus Mariota, like Alex Smith, uh, a see it before you throw it uh, quarterback. Um, and and it's because of that. Because okay, I'm like okay, there's the single right there. The ball's supposed to go there, and he was he he would just go away from it because he didn't see the separation. I mean, I think that you're supposed to give those players a chance. Jameson Williams is six two, 190 pounds. Throw it to him. Throw it to him when he has the single and there's a you know a safety in the middle of the field who can't get over there. But I didn't see him do that. And you saw him hold on to the ball. You really saw him hold on to the ball. The fact of the matter is, is you saw him hold on to the ball in the Clemson game. However, there were wide receivers that eventually ended up uncovering, and they just didn't do that in this game. If anything, you know, maybe let's give credit to Josh Job and Patrick Sertain for being able to lock down a really good 
um, Ohio State wide receiver core. But that's going to be kind of the – I don't want to say red flag, but that is a flaw in Justin Fields' game is that he wants to see separation uh, be- before he throws the ball. And the windows are going to be a lot tighter in the NFL. So that's just something to pay attention to. Um Matt, in hindsight, with the with Alabama kind of just rolling through the playoffs, do you think Texas A&M deserved that fourth spot in place of Notre Dame? It's an interesting discussion, I think. Uh, I, I only say this because I saw a lot of Texas A&M fans kind of all butthurt in, in, every, in all of the Buckeye mentions uh, Monday night when they were getting destroyed by Bama because I believe they both actually lost by the same uh, – the same total or the same amount of points, not necessarily the same overall score, uh, but the same amount of points, 28 or something like that. So I don't know. I personally don't think so because I think Notre Dame deserved that spot for what they did against Clemson. I understand that they they beat Clemson with DJ Ugalele, uh, but I don't know if they should have jumped Notre Dame. And I don't think whether the, the, the uh, committee will admit this or not, I think we talked about it, there was no way that they were going to keep Notre Dame at like a three because they didn't want Clemson and Notre Dame to play each other a third time in the first round of the playoffs. So I, I just – personally, I don't think Texas A&M is that good. I don't think they had to put up any better of a fight than Notre Dame because I'm sorry, as much as I, I hate Ian Manziel, I think he's better than Kellen Mond. I think he can make more plays than Kellen Mond. I would have loved to see Isaiah Spiller, but outside of that, that's it because we haven't even seen – DeMoss hit the field yet. Uh, so I personally think Notre Dame probably gave Alabama the better game. I just thought it was funny that because Ohio State lost like that, all of a sudden AM just felt justified in being in the in the in the in the playoffs. We well, talk about, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead, Felix. I was gonna say we saw a couple of notable players um uh injured or or playing through injuries uh in this game. Um, Austin, let me throw it to you. You mentioned Trey Sermon and him going down. It looks like he was grabbing his collarbone or something there. He has a history of injuries. Is that going to end up dropping him in drafts? Are you going to drop him down in your rankings, for example? I'm probably not going to drop him just because this running back class is so weak. Like, I feel like I'll gamble on that upside because there's nobody else that like, I I like more. He's my RB five. And then after him, it's uh, Gainwell's number six, and then it's a fairly significant drop from there in terms of guys that I think can be like a an RB two type uh, guy for my fantasy teams. So I'm not I'm probably not going to drop him if he's there like mid second, mid late second in my drafts. I'll probably take him. But yeah, he has. I mean, they're calling it like an upper body injury. I don't know if it's collarbone or rib, or they haven't really said what it is. But then he had a season ending left knee injury last year that he suffered like November ish, and then he had ankle and knee injuries the year before that. Um, I know there's a, like a lot of doctors and PTs and stuff and kind of uh, coming into the fantasy space on Twitter and, and all those sorts of things. And they say that it, those kinds of like injury prone is a myth. Like it's not really a thing. And I'm not, I'm not necessarily sure if I believe that or not, but like they, you know, they're, they went to med school or whatever. I didn't. So I'll, I'll listen to them, but I, I think in a normal class, it would knock him, but I, I'm probably still going to take him. Well, I'm not even sure if he's going to fall that far, but but if he's there in those spots, I'll probably take him. You know, I was talking to somebody about uh, Trey Sermon earlier, or actually yesterday, and I just didn't have a really strong take on him. Is he, based on where you have him ranked, if you get him in a dynasty rookie draft, are you excited about it, or do you feel like you just have some, you know, a, kind of a stash player to wait and see what happens? 
Yeah, I've been saying all year, I think I'm just not going to walk out of many drafts at the running backs this year. I just think like the value for the, where they're going to be, like I, I'm not going to be in those spots to take them. Or like I think it's just too much of a reach in those spots to take them. So um, I would be happy. I think he can be like a lead. Hmm. I think he can be a lead guy. But I also think the more likely scenario is that he splits a backfield with somebody kind of like um, like I, not like necessarily a high powered backfield, like those Panthers teams were with like D'Angelo Williams and Jonathan Stewart. Like it might not be that level of, you know, upside, but I think you can go to a team and, and be like a one, a one B guy and do some damage that way. I think one thing that I want to develop over the, the course of the off season is ex- better explaining why even in the, in the midst of production, like very high production, I just still don't see, you know, some sort of elite NFL talent. Um, and I think especially at a power five school like Ohio State. Yeah, I know he ran for 300 yards. I know he ran for 200 yards in that game, but I still don't I'm still not moving him up uh, over certain guys. And we have to explain that, you know, perhaps with Trey Sermon, we have to explain it with Jared, Jared Patterson. And um, it's just something that I want to f- focus on uh, in the offseason to actually make myself a better analyst. So um, <laughs> another guy, another guy who was injured coming into the game. He tried to do the Terrell Owens thing and come back and provide a lift. They didn't even really need him. Bruning. He Jalen Waddle gets back out there after the fractured foot earlier in the season. Comes comes into this game is obviously limping. There's no way he should have been playing. T- tell me I'm right. Uh, I mean, you're wrong. Uh, really quick on Sermon, it was a collarbone injury. He's recovering fine. He's on his way back to Ohio State uh, as of yesterday. So just just because I know that, I figured I'd share. Um, for Waddle, I I don't think you should tell a player what he, he can or can't do. Do I think he should have been out there? Probably not, especially after that first crossing, uh, crossing route where he clearly came up limping. You could tell his ankle was bothering him. Uh, and especially when they got up to, you know, 40-something, 24, you probably could have turned to Waddle and be like, hey, kid, you've done your part. We appreciate it. Sit down. But I've also been there, not on a obviously as high a competitive scale as he has, but playing baseball at one point, I fractured my ankle sliding into third base. I could barely get off the field, came back in the next the, the next day. We had a game in a tournament, taped my ankle up, shot it up, and was out there playing, not knowing I had fractured my ankle. Like, you do what you can to help your team out. And I understand that mentality. Do I think it was the right thing to do? If he thinks it was the right thing to do for him, then yes, he should go out there and do it. Now, do I agree with what everybody was saying on Twitter that Saban and them should have been the, you know, the the bigger man or whatever, walked up to him and said, hey, you need to sit down? I go back to, I think, the very first argument, one of the very first arguments we had on this show. It's not Nick Saban's job to coach him for the NFL. It's his job to win games. So do I think it was the right decision to make? No, for his future, but if that's what Waddle wanted and the medical staff said he could go, I don't see an issue with him being out there. It is absolutely the coach's job to put the player's interest first. I mean, when you get recruited, they're talking about how they're going to take care of you and all this other stuff that they're not going to put, you know, winning and taking shortcuts above but how many your child's do that? livelihood. Now, that that's the way it should be. That's exactly the well, way it should I, be. Yeah. And they've I got enough players that. on that Alabama team. That guy was out there limping. Listen, there, he, 
secure the bag, help him secure the bag. I would have more respect for Nick Staben had Jalen Waddle not played. Help save him from himself. That's that was Nick uh, uh, Nick Saban's job. I see Austin shaking his head, agreeing with me. He, Nick Saban absolutely had an obligation to sit him down or any player who was going to be go- going out there. You know, under those conditions, recovering from an injury like that. Austin, do you want to add anything before we go to the next? It's literally the most irresponsible thing I've ever seen a coaching staff do in terms of player injuries in my entire life. I mean, obviously, they used to send guys back out there with concussions, and that was also really bad. But we didn't understand, like, the severity of concussions uh, and as as it was linked to long-term health back then. He wasn't even limping. He wasn't even, he was like, like, okay, I'm sorry. It's, it's, uh, this was not meant to be a pun. He was waddling, like shuffling back and forth. You could tell that dude was like 60% max. It was completely irresponsible. Someone has to be an adult in the situation and you cannot expect the kid to be an adult because he's never won a national championship there. I get why he wanted to be out there, yeah. but you know, it's like, if I'm a, if I'm a, a parent, that kid is getting recruited this next year too. That sticks with me and that bothers me because Saban has a history of doing that. Like I said earlier this year, he put Devonta Smith back there returning punts in a pointless game against Arkansas. And then after they were up by three touchdowns, he kept them back there doing it anyway. It's, it's, it's grossly irresponsible. Okay. So I don't agree with you on that point, but that's not who Saban is. That's my point. We saw it with Jalen Waddle. He shouldn't have been returning punts to begin with when he got No, he didn't get hurt on a punt, right? It, no, it was yeah. the Smith thing you were talking about. That Smith shouldn't have been back there. We saw it last year with Tua. Tua should not have been in that game. It was over with. And I agree with you. I don't agree with you that he shouldn't have played at all. If he wanted to be out there, they talked about it. His family and him sat down, talked with Saban, talked with the medical staff. They all said it was good. He wanted to be out there. Now, when he showed that he was clearly more hurt than maybe he led to believe to the medical staff, yes, they should have pulled him. I do not think they should have kept him out there as long as he was. But I'm not going to sit there and tell a kid if he says he's good and you can't tell if he's lying or not. If he says, Hey, I'm good. We saw him in the warmups. They showed the warmups. Was he limping at all during those warmups? No. Yes. I did. I did not see him limping at all in the warmups. He couldn't push off at all. They were watching showing him like try to sprint. He was running like half full speed out there. And it looked awkward as hell. Maybe I wasn't paying attention, but I didn't see him limping that much until that crossing route. And then I did. I said, I said the same thing you guys did on Twitter. Everybody else. Hey, he needs to come off the field, but I'm not going to hold anything against him. And again, I'll say Nick Saban has never done this in his career. I'm not going to expect him to change now. Dude's what, 60-something? Why, why is he all of a sudden going to be like, oh, no, hey, you're right, Waddle. Go sit down. We got this. That's not Nick Saban. I think we got to choose one or the other. Either this is amateur sports or it's professional sports. It's amateur sports. So let's put the ch- – the the a lot of these these – These players are children when they start playing college football. They're kids. Let's put the interest of the kids above the interest of the coaches who are already making $10 million salaries a year. All right, let's move on here. Um, We're now kind of smack dab in the middle of the college offseason. We're getting reports about players declaring for the draft, going back to school. But the thing that we're seeing – almost every day is one player or another is entering the transfer portal. Austin, yes or no, the transfer portal is good for college football. I I think it has the potential to be really good for college football, but I think it's still way too early to say what this, um, you know, one year or first, first time transfer waiver or whatever they're calling it is going to do. 
Because I think the problem is we see kids making emotional decisions as to who they choose the first time around. And then the decisions the second time aren't necessarily any less emotional. Like you're assuming that over the next year or two, these kids have gotten some extra perspective or like grown up enough to make a smart decision where a lot of the times it might just be better for them to stay where they are, sit a year and figure things out. So uh, there's 411 kids in the transfer portal right now, according to 24-7 Sports. I'm assuming they keep up pretty good with that. That's a lot, and it's going to only get more here over the next couple of weeks. And I think so, you're going to find a problem, especially this year, where guys aren't always all going to the NFL. They can stay an extra year. So you're leaving your school or at least putting yourself in the portal with the assumption that you can find an equal or slightly, you know, maybe a less slightly lesser spot. And there's not going to be as many spots as there are usually. I think we're going to see some really weird scenarios happen this offseason where, like, what happens if you put your name in the portal and then come back? Like, do your teammates probably aren't happy about that. Like, there's there's a lot of different things. I think we need a couple of years to say whether it's good or not. I think it has the potential to be good. But I still think we're kind of sugarcoating the fallout that can happen for some of these kids. There's only one answer to this question, and the answer is is that it is absolutely good for college football, and it's good for the college football players. We want them to be able to make choices. You have four years of eligibility to to play. They want to play. Remember Justin Fields, the We Want to Play campaign? Well, sometimes, even if there's not a pandemic, you still can't play because there are too many players in front of you. So, no, no, give the players the same choices and options that the coaches have. These assistant coaches go from one place to another. Head coaches go from one place to another, and they're signing contracts. No, you, you, it's time. Time is the most valuable resource. And you know, if you see your fr- red shirt freshman freshman year that you're not that you don't have a clear path to playing time, and I'm not even talking about making yourself draft eligible. I'm just talking about playing the game, being able to play the game. Time is valuable, and you want to be able to maximize that limited, limited amount of time to play the game. And so give these kids options, the same options that anybody else has if they want to transfer somewhere else. Let them have the option to go where they want to go so they can get on the field. There's that's It's good for college football, and it's good for college football because it's good for the individual, Austin. I don't disagree with what you're saying. However, it is, in my opinion, bad because now every time someone feels like they can go somewhere else, they're entering the transfer portal. We've seen it a lot this year. Go and look at how many players are now waiting to find somewhere to play. There are going to be players who now may never get to play football again because they transferred out too quickly and they're not going to be able to find another team. That's where I think it is going to be bad. If you're just allowing guys to move back and forth with no repercussions, no, I don't think the sitting one year thing uh, is fair to the players. I agree with you on the time part, but if you're just allowing players to just, everybody gets a free pass. We're seeing it already this year. You have a ton of players still sitting in the transfer portal. We have all these freshmen now coming into schools a lot. Some guys are coming in in the next couple of weeks and already going to be going to these schools, start getting ready for the new season. And you have all these players sitting in the transfer portal looking for someone to play. It's going to cost some of these guys possibly futures. Now, maybe not in the NFL, but futures playing college football. There are off, there are about 108 players or so on a football team, and you have 22 starting positions. Um they could be sitting in the transfer portal or they could be sitting on scout team for four years. It, it, do, it doesn't matter. All I, well, I, it, the, the 
transfer portal, um, whether they're sitting there or not, they could be sitting on the bench somewhere for a team. And so all I'm saying is, is that it gives the players the choice. I want the players to have the choice there. All right, let's move on to we've got some uh, declarations of players who are returning to school and players who have decided to declare for the draft. Um, Mr. Bruning, Jahan Dotson, after having uh, a, a really uh, breakout season as a junior at Penn State and even a breakout game against your Ohio State Buckeyes, he's returning to school. Good or bad decision, Jahan Dotson returning to school? Uh, I think it's a good decision for him. I think uh, he obviously had a couple good games this year, first real year breaking out. Very loaded wide receiver class, in my opinion. I, I'm sure both of you agree with, with me on that as well. Next year, I think, is very top-heavy. But outside of that, there's a lot of guys I think he could easily jump. So if he's able to go back to Penn State again this year, hopefully we have a full college season next year and is able to continue to produce like he, he did this year, show everybody that he is as good as he showed in the few games this year. I think he could easily jump up into that Tier 2 of wide receiver group and probably increase his draft capital in next year's draft compared to this year's draft class. The only thing I worry about with Jahan Dotson is who's going to play quarterback for Penn State next year. You know, I mean, and I, that that's all I'm worried about. It, um, so we'll see. You know, I, I don't have a problem with him going back to school, but I do wonder who's going to be throwing both him and Parker Washington the ball. All right. Um, Tommy Tremble, the Notre Dame tight end playing. They actually used like three guys there, including the, the freshman phenom Michael Mayer. Um, I think that it is a bad decision for him to declare for the draft because this draft is very deep at tight end with Pitts and with Fryermuth and with Jordan and with uh, Hunter Long. I thought that next year Tommy Tremble could have potentially been the first tight end taken. Um, all you've got is, is uh, Jalen Widemeyer and uh, Charlie Kohler decided to come back. And Tommy Tremble, I mean, you look at, what he did coming out of high school as far as uh, verified measurables, ran a 4.6, you know, had a decent jump, uh, vertical jump. Um, and then and then at Notre Dame, he's been renowned for his blocking. He doesn't get the ball as much uh, as Mayer does, but you can see it. You can see the talent when he gets the ball. They line him up in the backfield. They line him up on the line of scrimmage. They line him up in the slot at time. That's a really versatile player who – you know, is probably around 240 pounds or so. I don't know what he's listed, but something like that. And again, because of the weak class um, that may have been next year, I thought that he could make the jump and, and could have been the, the, the first tight end taken. But I still think that he'll get decent draft capital because of his versatility. And I don't remember if I've said, said it on this show or, or another show, but he's one of those guys that has the potential to go to the NFL combine and open some eyes because, you know, he jumps out of the gym, runs a really good time and just does all of the, um, the, the, all of those tests really performs really well. So Tommy Tremble, you know, good luck to him. I think that he um, could, should have gone back to school because he could have been the first tight end taken next year. Zamir White, Mr. Bruning, good or bad decision on him returning to school? <laughs> uh, again, good. Almost the same exact argument I just made for Jahan Dotson. I don't think he was going to be anywhere near the 
the top guys here, I mean, you've got Najee, Javante, Etienne, Sermon, Gainwell, Jefferson. I, I don't think he would have come anywhere near those six guys right there. Where next year, Brees Hall, in my opinion, is the clear one. I don't, I don't think anybody jumps in. Then you've got – don't shake your head, Austin. It's Brees Hall, and there's no one close. I don't want to hear anything else. I don't want to hear any other Brees Hall slander on this podcast. Outside of uh, Hall, though, I mean, you've got Isaiah Spiller – who I think is good. I mean, I love Raymond Davis. I think he's up there. Eric Gray. You've got Kyron Williams, Kenneth Walker, Noah Kane, maybe if he has a good year with Penn State. Like, there's a lot of guys that you have question marks about. Zamir White goes out there and dominates for Georgia. Uh, I mean, I think he could easily jump up. I don't think he jumps Spiller, Hall. Maybe he's right there with Gray. Uh, but, I mean, that, that probably gets him round three draft capital, where I don't think he gets that this year. That's right, Boz. Uh, I don't know about anybody in this class, but Brees Hall's amazing. Thank you, Boz. <laughs> One guy that I wanted to bring up that, you know, I don't think he got as much fanfare for declaring as a junior, a true junior, is Simi Fihoko uh, out of Stanford, 6'4", 225. You know, I've heard – I first heard this name from Ryan Roberts uh, on Twitter, Rise and Draft on Twitter, and – um that size sticks out to me. He had a 17.9% market share as a true sophomore and then 33.9% um, as a true junior. Averages 18.6 yards a catch. And you he's a physical player. He can do some of the contested catch stuff. Um I sent you guys on the chat, you know, his uh his measurables at, uh, uh coming out of high school, he ran a 452 at 220 something pounds. Let's see. He ran a 452 at 186 pounds. So he's gained a lot of weight since he was 186 at the time. 64 186 had a 41 shuttle. A 41 shuttle and had the highest uh overall spark rating in 2016. You know, this this um I think that he's intriguing and he's not getting a lot of uh, uh uh hype just because he played at Stanford he's on the West Coast um you know the so but he's someone that I'm really paying attention to as we get closer to the draft Austin you've said it on your show this draft has so many different types and styles of wide receiver I mean you could get any kind of wide receiver that you want and here uh, this. Simi Fihoko, uh, this athletic guy, 6'4", 225 pounds, who like nobody's talking about. Nobody at all is talking about. So I'm going to be paying attention to him um, uh, coming out of the draft. And I didn't answer the call of the question. Good decision for him to declare for the NFL draft. All right. Um, oh, we got one more. Well, we'll skip that one. Let's just go straight to the mock draft we're going to do a mock draft our early mock draft uh rookies 2021 eligible mr bruning should we just skip you're going to go first should we just go to austin with the second pick or do you have some analysis no, not at all got great analysis for the number one pick here in our so and do we need to give any stipulations super flex tight end premium oh yeah i'm sorry uh super flex tight end premium yep all right, so Superflex tight end premium. Obviously, is Felix typing it already into the cheat here. You got to go quarterback if it's Superflex, and you got to go with the guy with the most upside, and that's Justin Motherfucking Fields of the Ohio State Buckeyes. All right, mom. 
Um, oh yeah, I'm sorry. I forgot mom's watching now. I'm sorry, moms that were watching. I didn't mean that. Um, we should tell this, we should tell the catfish story after in the after show today. Yeah, we can definitely do that. Uh, so for Justin Fields, though, I, I you know, I know Trevor Lawrence is going to be the number one pick over on this draft. He's a phenomenal quarterback prospect, and I can't use a line that I used earlier because Dawson proved me wrong, but just I don't think that Trevor Lawrence is, uh, He's going to be a phenomenal NFL quarterback. I think Justin Fields has higher fantasy upside, and that is what I am attacking this of from from a fantasy standpoint. So give me Justin Fields all day long, all day, every day, and twice on Sunday. Am I next? I am next. I am next. Yep. I feel like we can just we can just pencil in Trevor Lawrence and just call it the day. Um, you sure you don't want Zach Wilson? I feel like that's a, there's a debate now between those two right now for the number two. Oh, I thought the debate was between Wilson and Fields. So I guess maybe Wilson should have gone first. No, now Mac Jones is definitely like uh, quarterback one after that performance. You're right. You're right. He's got he's got that that quarterback body too. I don't know if you guys saw that picture. That made me feel good. I was like, I could be a quarterback. Tre- Trevor Lawrence could never. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to take Lawrence. I'm not really going to say anything else about that. I mean, great quarterback prospect. I feel like you know. I, you can't go wrong with either of these first two guys, but so if you're a two, you just take the one that's there and, and you're happy with it. So, yeah, and obviously I'm going to take Zach Wilson because I think he will be the third quarterback taken either by Carolina or hopefully, you know, San Francisco. That's real. I really want to see him go. Maybe they can trade up for him. Um, I think that uh, in super flex drafts, we're going to see four quarterbacks go and it's going to be Wilson Fields, probably, or sorry, excuse me, it's going to be Lawrence Fields, and then it's going to be a choice between uh, Trey Lance and Zach Wilson. I, I really like what I've seen as far as Zach Wilson on the field, but also in the interviews that I've seen with him, um, just saying where, you know, where the safety was when he threw the ball and being able to recall that sort of thing. Three-year starter, I've talked a lot about uh, about uh, Trey, uh, Zach Wilson, excuse me. And so I'm going to go with Zach Wilson here at the number three. Burning, let's go back to you at number four. Who you got? So another stipulation. So am I drafting at four as like a different person or is this me again for like my team? Because that's going to matter. It's going to matter for who I pick. You're not picking a team. You're probably picking like, you know, how you think these players would get drafted. Yeah. So, okay. So then at four, I I agree. It would be Trey Lance. You know, we talked about it on our draft profile show. Uh, He's got, in my opinion, the highest upside of this, of this whole quarterback class. That includes Lawrence and fields. Uh, Dude has a ton of tools. If he lands with the right team and can put them together, I think he can be phenomenal at the NFL level, what he can do with his arm and his legs. So I would go Trey Lance. All right. Now the draft is really going to start uh, here at number five, Austin, who you got? So this is um, this will be a little bit of a shock to people because I don't I don't quite draft the way a lot of people do with this, where I don't give a positional bump to running back at all in a neutral you know setting. So I'm going to take my wide receiver one here because he's the highest graded player left on my board, and that's Rondell Rondell Moore. Moore. Yeah. Yeah, it's Rondell Moore. I think he has like he's not like he can do everything that you really want a wide receiver to do. He's not just a gadget guy, despite his you know slight height. He's built really well. I, I think he can he can go in and be a wide receiver one in today's NFL, where maybe you wouldn't have said that ten years ago. He's coming into the league right at the right time. So yeah, give me Rondell. 
I think that makes my decision easy. I'm going to go with Najee Harris. Uh, I think the comp for him is Fred Jackson, is Matt Forte. These are players with very high ceilings. Uh, Najee Harris is 6'2", 230 pounds, and he can be deployed vertically in the passing game. Now, I went to public school, but I learned that touchdowns are scored in the end zone. And so he can he can be deployed vertically in the passing game. That's why I, I really like uh, Najee Harris's floor. I think that he's the highest floor running back in this class. That's why he's the number one running back. So I'm going to take, I'm going to go ahead with Najee Harris. Burning back to you. It's really going to hurt that argument when Najee Harris turns into Trent Richardson. But uh, so number seven, I'm taking, uh, I'm going to go a little off board here. I, I usually would go running back here because I do agree with what Felix was saying. I'm just kidding with Trent Richardson. By the way, people, I love Najee Harris. Don't don't think that I'm saying he's the next Trent Richardson. Uh, but since this is tied in premium, uh, I do think you can get plenty of wide receivers later if you're picking at the seven spot. And there's still a couple running backs I think are going to fold super flex for Max because I think Mac Jones is going to get first round draft capital in the NFL. And I think Kyle Trask might get drafted high as well. So I think both those guys will get drafted high in super flex format. So I am going Kyle Pitts. Uh, I think he's the best wide receiver in this draft playing the tight end position. He's going to set the record for the best tight end season overall and make Felix wear an Ohio State Buckeyes jersey at this somewhat this time next year. Uh, so Kyle Pitts, he's, I think, going to easily, regardless of where he lands, I think is going uh, to be right up there as one of the top five tight ends next year in fantasy. So uh, give me a guy who's going to win me that position every single week. I, I think the best part about that that the the Michael or the the Kyle Pitts bet is that you negotiated against yourself the entire time. You're like he's going to do this. No, he's going to do this. No, he's gonna do this. <laughs> it was the worst negotiation I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Oh man, right. I'm interested to see where you go here just because there are running backs on the board, there are wide receivers. So, uh, yeah, it's a, I really wanted to take Pitts there. I thought he'd be there in that spot. Uh, I'll probably take Jamar Chase then. I think I have him just graded a little bit better than ETN. Uh, people, we're going to see all on Twitter now. Oh, you people are forgetting how great Jamar Chase was because he didn't play this year. I'm not forgetting. I thought he was really good. He still has stuff to work on, but who doesn't? So, I'll take him. I think he has the, the all the potential in the world. You know, I think we asked uh, whether or not um, Jalen Waddle's draft stock was hurt by, you know, showing up injured. And I think that we've already seen it here in this draft because, you know, Jalen Waddle, for some, was being the first wide receiver taken. Um, and now he is going to be the third wide receiver taken. He's kind of the, 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 the player with the most juice left, at least when he's healthy. Um, so I'm going to take Jalen Waddle here at number nine. Burning, let's back, go back to you. Well, that works perfectly for me because uh, I mentioned at my last pick that I would like to go running back here, and my running back, too, has fallen all the way to pick 10, which I think is amazing. That's Javante Williams, Austin, because I know you don't think he's talented, uh, but he's extremely good. He's uh, He's got a little bit of wiggle, which Austin will deny, but he's also a very powerful running back, great receiver out of the backfield. Yeah, hey, a little bit of wiggle is all I need him to do, though. Most missed and avoided tackles in the college football this year. That's all I'm saying. Uh, Javante Williams, I think, is going to be a study. What's going to be very ironic about Javante Williams, too, and I'm going to go ahead and call it now, he's going to get drafted in the second round by the Pittsburgh Steelers, and I'm just going to love the anguish and pain on Austin's face uh, the next day when we talk about it on the uh, on our show and uh, having to cheer for Javante Williams now as a Pittsburgh Steeler. If that happens, I will scrub the internet of every single Javante Williams take I've ever had. I will be his biggest fan. 
Um, I, so I guess I'll go ETN then at that point. He's my highest rated player left. I think people are, um, he's, he's suffering a little bit from just being so good so long and people are kind of nitpicking at him now. Um, because I think he can, he's still competing with for Najee for that that first running back spot. So to get him, how many picks later is it than Najee? One, two, three, four, five picks later. Cool. Yeah, I'll take that. And 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 he's a great great athlete. I'll bet on that. Sure. I think that we're going to see a run of wide receivers now because there are a lot of talented, a lot of talented uh, wide receivers still on the board, and there is the the one that everyone up north in Minnesota loves, but I'm going to take the LSU product, uh, uh, Terrence Marshall, 6'3", 200 pounds. I think I've mentioned a couple of times on this show how much I love length and speed, and Terrence Marshall has both. So I'm going to go with Terrence Marshall here at the end of the first. Let me recap really quick just for us. So we got number one, Justin Fields, number two, Trevor Lawrence, number three, Zach Wilson, number four, Trey Lance, number five, Rondell Moore, number six, Najee Harris, Kyle Pitts, the first tight end taken at number seven, Jamar Chase at number eight, Jalen Waddell at number nine, Javante Williams, number 10, number 11, Travis Etienne, and I just took Terrence Marshall at number 12. Mr. Bruning, we're going back to you. Essentially, this is the top of the second round in the 12-team draft. Pick 13, who are you taking? So if I'm sitting at 2-1, got Justin Fields at 1, and you guys let the – yeah, by the way, Carl texted me. I, I meant to uh, – yeah, I got you, Carl. Thanks. I know you're watching. I know. Um, So if I'm sitting at the 2-1, I got Justin Fields in my first pick, and now I'm going to get the Heisman winner, my second wide receiver overall, Devonta Smith here. I am absolutely thrilled. I think – He's going to show up in the NFL. I know a lot of people worried about him not producing until senior year. He's not He's not heavy enough, all that other crap. I don't care. It, Devonta Smith showed it Monday night. He's shown it all season long. The dude is an absolute baller. So if I can get Devonta Smith here at 2-1, I am absolutely thrilled, and that is who I'm taking. All right. Austin, 14. Yeah, I was muted. Um, so... I only have I have two first round grades left. One of them is a tight end though, so I I would probably skip on him for right now. I so I was I, I saw on Twitter earlier that Lance uh, Zuerlein or Zuerlein, however you say his last name, said that NFL teams aren't very high on Rashad Bateman, which is making what? me yeah. And they said the same thing about. I, I haven't heard anybody else say that, so I don't know where that came from. I've, I've said it. I've said it. I've said it on this show in the in the segment in the now infamous segment. Uh, takes that you're afraid afraid to say out loud, but go ahead. Yeah, so so I'm actually going to skip taking him here and take my next highest rated guy, which is Amon Ross St. Brown from USC. Um, I think he's a guy that is very technically skilled and can come in right away. And we were talking on my other show this week that he he's a guy that like Justin Jefferson could come in kind of you know slightly lower rated and have a really big rookie year um, if he falls into the right situation. So I'd I'd be happy to take him there. All right, so your take. Get, who was that again, Austin? Amon Ross St. Brown. Oh, okay. All right. Maybe I, I, maybe I didn't of, even say that. I don't know. I do you that did. sometimes. You did. You did. You did. It just I'm, – I, I was sitting there trying to fi- figure out who, uh, who I was going to take, and there's still tight ends on the board. But, man, I, I don't know if this player is very high on NFL boards, but, man, he's high – Man, I love me some Tamarion Terry, man. I love me some Tamarion Terry. And I know that, you know, that he 
he's an older prospect and he he's a knucklehead got into it with coaches this year but man if there's a six foot four uh, 220 pound wide receiver who's going to run a sub 4-4 at the NFL Combine. Yes, please. I mean, everybody loved Chase Claypool this year. Tamarion Terry has a better physical skill set than Chase Claypool, in my opinion. I got two guys that are covering their mouths over here, like, <laughs> but um, all right, I'm going to go with Tamarion Terry, and you guys. Can I mean, if anyone wants to respond to that, it's a, okay. Uh, really quick, just to break off of the, the draft, really quick, it's because during the pre show, uh, we talked about how I did a mock draft show with, with Ray Garvin, we, we've talked about obviously, and they were up. There was a person in the Reddit group as we were talking about Reddit and all the, the pro NFL guys that work on Reddit, uh, were ripping us because we didn't draft Tamori on Terry, and he's the best wide receiver in this draft class. And I said he didn't know what he was talking about, he called me an idiot. So Austin pointed out that it must have been you on Reddit calling me an idiot because I said that about Terry. <laughs> no it definitely wasn't me it it's one of those guys that i just have, i feel like if he um hits it's gonna be huge if he hits it's gonna be huge so you know can i take that chance right here in the second round yeah, yeah. i'll take that chance so uh so i i'm gonna be honest i think i'm killing this draft right now you guys just let me get my i got my number two wide receiver my top quarterback my second running back and now i'm gonna get my number four wide receiver and rashad bateman I don't care what Lance Zerline says about what the NFL player coaches or whatever think about him. Rashad Bateman is a phenomenal wide receiver. I know a lot of people don't like what he did this year. Dude opted out, opted back in. Big Ten fucked this up for everybody. Again, apologize to the parents watching. But he is a phenomenal wide receiver. I think he can do a little bit of everything. Yeah, he's not the most speed. He's not the tallest guy, uh, but he creates separation. He's a very good route runner. I'm going to compare him to someone uh, that I think is going to get both of you to freak out here. Uh, and I think this is exactly what you're going to be able to get him late in draft, and he's going to produce just like this in the NFL. I think he is the next Justin Jefferson. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, at, no. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, you were just talking about how bad so he I say he's going to be Justin Jefferson. Well, you know what? Now, yeah, I see it. Really good wide receiver. Yeah, maybe he's not as bad as I thought. But that's why at this point in the year, like we say, you know, stick with your gut. If you think a guy is good, then then yeah, take him. And then you know, because people did the same thing with Jefferson last year. So I'd never knock somebody for that. I mean, it's not like you just took like Tamori and Terry or something at that. Point. Well, yeah, that's true. I would never take uh, Tamori and Terry that high. So. Uh, no, so so I guess my highest rated player. I still have a first round graded guy on the board. It's Pat Fryermuth. Maybe it's a little early, but a tight end premium. I guess in this range, you can't be that upset with t- with taking a tight end. I really like him. He's probably the best all-around tight end of this class. I think we could see a very TJ Hawkinson type, um, you know, weak first year and then rise second year. So he's a guy that if I'm not getting him in this range, I'll probably wait a year. And then if he does the Hawkinson thing, I'll probably go try to buy him. All right. We are sitting here at, at pick 18 overall. Um, since I was ridiculed for my last pick, I'm trying to – uh, make a good decision here. I just don't know. I I think I'm going to go back to the quarterback well because I think that there are, I think that there are ultimately going to be five quarterbacks taken in the first round. 
with four taken in the top 15 and, and one taken um, in the in the back of the first round. And I, obviously that's Mac Jones. Um, and, I, you know, it's super flex, and I'm, I'm here in the middle of the second round, and I'm getting what I believe to be a quarterback who is going to get first-round draft capital. Yeah, I'm going to take him there. I mean, my um, I'm thinking of of Jordan Love being taken in the back of the first round last year, and whether or not Matt Jones is a better prospect than Jordan Love. And I think, I mean, I think so. I think so. He might not have the physical attributes that uh, Jordan Love did, but he, but he seems to. Um, I mean, he's was more a more prolific passer. So Matt Jones get late first round draft capital. I'm going to take him here. All right, so that puts me up. I am going to take who is currently sitting at my RB4 right now in Jamar Jefferson. I, I mean, I love this kid. I think being able to get a guy who I think is right on the verge of being the last kind of guys I see being a possible true workhorse in the NFL, getting him this late in the second round. I don't think you'll be able to get him this late in regular drafts. Could be wrong, but Superflex is going to push a lot of values down. Uh, you know, he's he's got everything. He's got really good lateral speed. I think he can be a, be a workhorse back. I, I like what, what he does in the passing game as well. Uh, he's very dangerous in there. Quickness, great body control. He just does it all. I, I love Jamar Jefferson. He's a guy that I th- I'm, I'm hoping will fall into the mid-second rounds in, in most rookie drafts because I will be grabbing him in pretty much every one that I'm in. Yeah, this is the range where I'm I'm happy to start looking at those other running back options that I have on my list, and I'll go with Ramon J. Stevens. Ramon J. Oh, dang it! I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Well, I knew if I didn't take him here, he was probably gone my next time. Yeah. Here, so, um, yeah, I mean, he's I, I think he has the size and everything you want. I do, and we talked a little bit about it last week on the after show. Like, people have been saying that NFL teams might not view him as a running back which does cause me concern. Like, I think he looks like a good player, but if teams aren't going to use him that way, then obviously he's not as useful for my fantasy team. But yeah, I think this is the range where I'm comfortable taking him or my my other second-round graded running back, and I'd be happy with it. I think we're going to know whether or not Ramondre Stevenson is going to be used as a fullback or a running back based on um, his draft capital. that and And the fact that, you know, what teams use fullbacks anymore? Like the Ravens and and maybe the the 49ers. Um, so uh, I, I I hope that he's used as a as a running back and not you know an H back or a fullback. All right, we are back to me, and um, I think I'm warming. Despite you know his kind of no show game in the championship game, I'm, I'm warming up a little bit on Chris Olave. I've seen him uh, taken in the first round. Uh, in a in a lot of mock drafts, and so if I'm you're telling me I'm at pick 21, and I'm going to get Chris Olave, a, a wide receiver with first round draft capital, yeah, I'll take that, and um, uh, I'll take that, and I've seen people compare him to Terry McLaurin, so um, Chris Olave there at pick 21. All right, Bernie, back to you. I like that. I actually just said that earlier today. I, I, I don't like comping players to, to other players most of the time, but I, I, I like that comp. For, I mean, for I was going to take Ramondre there, but Austin is a thief after saying he was too big to play running back. Just took him in front of me. 
All right, so this is my last pick. Um, you know, there's a couple guys here on the board that I would think about taking. So uh, obviously in the first round, if I'm going based on, you know, uh, regular things here, I took Javante Williams here. So I had that running back, you know, Trey Sermon's a guy I would probably look at here. Uh, I like Tylen Wallace, Deame Brown, uh, Elijah Moore, kind of all the guys left in that tier two for me that are still available. But it is tight end premium, and there's a guy I think that is still the top three at his position. He's got a first-round grade for me in this draft class, uh, and I think is going to be phenomenal player in the NFL and really good for you in fantasy, and that's Brevin Jordan out of Miami. And I, I would take him here. Getting a guy like that again in a tight end premium league almost at the back end of the second uh, I think is is great value for him. He's a guy, same thing. You can plug him in. I think he'll be a top 12-ish tight end for you every single every single year moving forward. So give me Brevin Jordan. Austin, don't you love his yak ability? <laughs> love that yak ability. It's everything I want out of my tight end and then some. <laughs> nah, he, he's a good athlete. I don't know. Landing spot's big for him, I think, more than more than maybe some other guys. Um, than the other two. Yeah, pro- probably. Yeah, of those big three, I think he's the most landing spot dependent, to be honest. Um, oh, man, I have a lot. of This is such a – man, I, it's such a deep class. I still have a ton of to round two grades left. In a real draft with this many receivers still left, I would probably go Trey Sermon here. Like I talked about earlier on the show, I have a I have a late round two grade on him, so this is where I'd be comfortable. I think he has the size and the ability, the talent to be a, a starting NFL running back. It's just the injury question marks for him. I don't know if he can stay healthy, but I'm fine spending the two eleven on that and. And you know, hoping for the best because presumably, if this is my pick, my team's already really good. So hopefully, he can you know plug and play later. And there are still some running backs that, or excuse me, wide receivers that I'm struggling with. But we're starting to run out of running backs. And if I'm sitting here at the end of the um, second round, I think that there is another high floor running back there. There are actually two. I mean, allegedly. There's two with Kenny Gainwell, but I'm going to go with Michael Carter here uh, at the end of the second round. Um, Michael Carter, you know, I've seen Elijah Moore mocked in the first round of NFL. I don't think that that's going to happen because he's a slot only. And so um, I'm going to take Michael Carter here just to recap. That is uh, the second round Devonta Smith, Amari, uh, Amon Ross St. Brown, Tamarion Terry, with I guess the reach of all reaches, whatever, and then the next Justin Jefferson with Rashad Bateman taken there. Pat, Pat Fryermuth, uh, Mac Jones, Jamar Jefferson, Ramondre Stevenson, Chris Olave, Brevin Jordan, Trey Sermon, and Michael Carter. Um. All right, I think uh, that's probably enough. For who who are your guys' top remaining players? Like, who's your one top remaining guy? Do you have like one? Ahead, one, bro. I mean, I can give you one at each position. So, um, at Kenneth Gainwell at running back, wide receiver is Tylen Wallace, and then I, don't, I mean, tight end is going to be Hunter Long. Quarterback is Kyle Trask. Uh, I, see, I, I yeah, go ahead, go ahead, Felix. I was going to say, I think that my highest rated receiver, I don't have ranking. I need to start taking these notes, but I think the receiver that I'd be most interested in is probably Elijah Moore. Um, the quarterback, yeah, it would be Kyle Trask. And then at running back, at running back, uh, yeah, I think it's got to be Gainwell. 
Yeah, I have Newman's my my highest remaining quarterback. Uh, Gainwell running back. Uh, Seth Williams is my highest rated wide receiver that's still on the board. He's my wide receiver nine. And then uh, Bruning, you're going to really like this. My tight end four is Jeremy Ruckert. Okay. Uh, I've always I've always liked Ruckert a lot. I'm glad that he finally you know they finally decided to throw him the ball a little bit this year. So those those, those are my top remaining guys. You know, I'm sorry. I'd neglected um, Chuba Hubbard. Chuba Hubbard would be – if Chuba Hubbard was there at the end of the second round, I'd probably be really interested in him. So, um, all right. All right. Well, that is going to be our show for – is that right? That's going to be our show for tonight. Yeah. Anything else? All right. Negative. That's going to be our show for tonight. You can find our written content at Dynasty Nerds. You can follow Matt at Sports Fanatic MB. You can follow Austin at Debbie Deets. You can follow me at Sharp Review. Uh, apologies to Kirk Herbstreet. We were going to get him on, but we went a little bit longer with this mock draft than we intended. And for Matt Bruning and Austin Nace, I'm Felix Sharp. Good night and good luck. Intercepted by Eli Apple at the 25, and Apple will go to the ground at the 32, and that's it. Ohio State national champions for the eighth time as they defeat Oregon 42 to 20. Here's Tua stepping back, loads up, looks long, throws, end zone, touchdown, touchdown Alabama, Devontae Smith, touchdown Alabama. And the Crimson Tide has once again ascended to the top of the college football mountain. Their fifth national championship in nine years. Their 17th overall. And for Watson takes a snap, rolls right, looks at the end zone. Hunter up, caught it! Touchdown! 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 With a second left, Watson hits Renfro. And Clemson grabs a 34-31 lead and is one second away from the second national championship in school history. Hill, just in front of his end zone, has a man out there. It is Ranger, and he's off to the races. Nobody will catch him. Freshman. He made the adjustments in the second quarter. Dobbins again, more than 10 yards per carry. He'll add to that. Goodbye. Touchdown, Ohio State. From 52 yards.